You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Men, here's what's on my heart today. What's on my heart today is to train you, to help you, to see what you're in for, no matter what your age, no matter where you are in life, no matter if you're 13 years old or if you're 43 years old, uh, I, I think there's some principles in the scripture that we want to look at today and I want to I empower you and I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you, I want to inspire you, I, wanna, I want us all to, to, to think in terms of... God has a plan for us, and it's, it's there for the taking. He is des- his desire for you is good. His desire for you is wonderful. And the issue, I, I loved what John Bevere was talking about last night. He, he said there's this salvation experience, this justification that happens, and it is done. It's a done deal inside of you. But then there's this process that begins to happen. It's called sanctification. That is God working himself out of you. And as he works himself out of you, you have to participate. And that's what this hour is about. So I want to talk to you today uh, on the title of Fighting Like David. The title of the message is Fight Like David. Fight Like David. Now, it's interesting because um, David is just an incredible hero in the scripture. And many of you know this. Many of you know. Now, I want you to get out your pen and notebook, all right? Because I'm going to make you take some notes. Because I think what happens here, I don't want to just be inspirational today. I'm not going to try to pump you up and send you out the doors. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some practical ideas about how you have to live your life. All right, so that, so that the transformation that is happening from the inside out, the transformation that's going on in your life is going to continue after you walk out this door. Does that sound good? All right, isn't, that what, isn't that what we want? We don't want, it just, we don't want it just to work in here. We want it to work out there. All right, so, so turn in your Bibles to Acts 13 and verse 22. Acts 13, 22. The scripture says, And this is our good friend Luke, the doctor, and he's writing here, but he's talking about Paul, and he says here, after removing Saul, he made David their king, and he testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Now, most of us are real familiar with the first phrase, but not the second phrase. He will do everything that I want him to do. How many of you want to sign up to do everything God wants you to do? Man, I do. I want to, I want to sign up for everything he wants me to do, and I want to do it. I want to accomplish it. Turn to Psalm 27. Psalm 27, verse 1. This is a psalm of David. We see, that, we see that David was a man after God's own heart, and there's several reasons why David was a man after God's own heart. We'll explore some of these. But the, the fact that he is a man after God's own heart does not just mean that he was a great worshiper or a great prayer guy or he really played well on the harp. Or There's, there's much greater implications for this idea. Psalm 27 verse 1 says, "'The Lord is my light and my salvation.'" Whom shall I 
fear. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Now, the reason I was drawn to this is I was thinking about speaking to men and how classic it is that men are supposed to be the guys that don't show any fear. You know, we're the protectors. We're the ones that are supposed to walk through life and kind of have this, this, this thing about us. You know, we're just not deterred by anything. And I, and I realized as I was thinking about that, I was thinking about that stereotype, I realized that I don't know that I've ever been that kind of man. <laughs> I mean, I'm a skinny guy. I've got, I've got spaghetti arms. I have no muscles. I, I, can't, I can't even make this shirt. This is one of those skinny shirts, you know, where it, like somebody told me it was cool, so I wore it. And, um, and so I'm, I should be able to make it tight, but I can't. I grew up the skinniest kid on the playground. I got into so, I don't know what it was about me. I got into so many fights on the bus stop. I would get pummeled about every two weeks. I don't know what it is. I was like a, I was like this kid that people just like to pick on. And so I remember it, man. My dad coming out to the bus stop. I mean, I'm talking about little kid. I'm in elementary school. My dad picks up the guy who's on top of me and pulls him off and, and dusts us all off. And I'm crying. And now I'm embarrassed because dad had to come and save me and blah, blah, blah. Can anyone relate to that? Okay, no, yeah, you guys are like, uh, not sure I want to say that. In seventh grade, I had an incredible fight with this kid because I, I learned through elementary school to be a little bit, you know, uh, what should we say, scrappy. And so, because that's the only, that's what they say when, you, when a guy can't fight. Um, but I was scrappy. And I, and I, so this kid, he was a seventh grader, I was in sixth grade, he was bigger than me by about 90 pounds, I was, <laughs> it was so weird, and, uh, and, and his, his name was Jesse, and Jesse was kind of a cool kid, and so he just kept picking on me, picking on me, and picking on me, and, and we came out in from the, the, the uh, some kind of, I don't know, we didn't have recess uh, but we had a, like a break time, uh, but, but we had a break time, we were coming back into class, and he just kept poking on me, and poking at me, and, and, and kind of teasing me a little bit, and I just got so sick of it, something came up on the inside of me, and I just turned around, and I, <laughs> you know that scene in Back to the Future? You know that, you know, you know that scene where he's like at the car, and Biff is like laughing at him, <laughs> and who is it, who's, who's the guy? George, George McFly, and, he, and you see his, his arm, that happened to me, this happened to me in sixth grade, and I, and I just, I was so mad, and I just turned around, although it happened in much quicker motion, it wasn't slow motion, but I, now looking back, I can see it happening in slow motion in my face. And I smacked him a good one right in the jaw. Boom! It was awesome. <laughs> it was awesome. It was incredible. And then he beat the living tar out of me. 
it was, it was really, really sad. I mean, he didn't just smack me, but I got one good shot in. I poked him, and he was, he was back on his heels, and then he came back and just walloped me. I had scratches all over my back. I mean, it was just like weirdness. You know, he just went crazy. And so uh, just so happens that my dad was the principal of the school. <laughs> that was pretty embarrassing. But here's the thing. David had, David had an understanding of what fighting meant for him. It, 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 he had an understanding of God coming to his defense. He had an understanding of how God wanted him to fight. He says, the Lord is the stronghold of my life in verse 1. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be... What is that word right there? Say it out loud, men. Even then I will be confident. There is nothing so wonderful as confidence. There is nothing so powerful as confidence. There is nothing that, that is so attractive to young women as confidence. What, you don't like women? What? But here's the thing. Here's the... You're way too young to like women. So, no. Okay, so, so look, he's... Like, how old are you? You are 14. Wow, you've got the Ross Parsley look. That's awesome. It's okay, you'll, you'll grow out of it, I promise. About 40. <clears throat> what was I saying? Oh, women, yeah. Okay, so, so here's the thing. Confidence is something that God wants to put in you, but he doesn't want to put it in you from your own strength. He doesn't want you to develop confidence based on your abilities alone. He wants you to develop confidence based on what he does in your life. And so you see, he says, even then, when evil men advance against me, when armies come against me, when all this stuff happens, when people say you're no good, you can't do it, you're not good enough, it's not going to happen for you, when people say that in your life, you, you, can, you can turn and you can say, no, I'm going to be confident in God, and here's why. Verse 4, one thing I ask of the Lord, this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. And to seek him in his temple. Seeking God. Now, where is the temple of God currently, modern day? Where's the temple? It's me and you, isn't it? What David is talking about here is a heart cry for God to be in that temple, to live in that temple to know who God is, to seek him, to gaze upon his beauty, and for that to be transforming to him, and for that to develop confidence. The way that you develop confidence is when you seek God, when you find him, when you gaze upon him, when you view him. Now, where did David learn this? Where did David learn this? 1 Samuel 17. Turn, turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. This is the famous story, and I want to just talk through it really quick, because I think there's some secrets here. 1 Samuel 17, get your notes out, and we'll talk about it a little bit. 1 Samuel 17 says, Now the Philistines 
gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soko and in Judah. And they pitched camp at Ephes Damim, Damim between Soko and Ezekah. Saul and Israelites and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. Okay, so do you see the picture? Okay, you've seen it in your little storybooks as you grow up? You know, you see a little picture, one little hill, all the Philistines, another little hill, all the Israelites, and then Goliath would come out and scare the living daylights out of the Israelites. So here it is, a champion, verse 4, named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out from the Philistine camp, and he was over nine feet tall. Okay, nine feet tall. Okay, so here, you stand up here. You stand up here. You're pretty tall, aren't you? Yeah, you look tall. All right, come stand right here. Okay, so here you are. No, stand on the floor. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so these, these steps are about six inches. So six, 12, 18, 24, what's this? 30, thank you. Excellent, excellent. Okay, so you're about six, what are you, six one? Ooh, six four, well. So that's there's six more feet right here. Is that about nine feet, right? Am I, am I nine? Is that right? Did I count it right? 36 feet, 36 inches taller than him. Okay, so it's as if he was... I'm this guy, and I'm down there on the same ground that he is, and this is how tall I am. Take that, Jesse. (laughs) It's huge. The man was enormous. The man was a warrior. He was incredible. It describes him here. Verse 5, he said, He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. You know how much that is? It's 125 pounds. 125 pounds. I didn't didn't go further than 125 pounds until I was like a senior in college. I weighed 125 pounds when I was in college, for crying out loud. He was wearing it in armor on his body. (laughs) On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod. A weaver's rod is this huge thing that they weave these giant enormous uh, rugs and and blankets and it's just this massive thing. And he says, um, he says it was like a weaver's rod and its iron point weighed 600 shekels which is 15 pounds. 15 pounds. So the head, the spear head was 15 pounds. His shield bearer went ahead of him. And Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up? Oh, no, it was more like this. Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? I don't know why I have this accent. <laughs> and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. I sound like, who do I sound like? I kind of sound like a... Who? Sean Connery. Sean Connery, yes. Sean Connery, yes, yes. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Here's the thing, first thing I want you to write down. Here's the first thing I want you to write down. The enemy always wants to make the terms. 
You can't fight on the enemy's terms. You fight on the terms that God laid out for you in the scripture. The terms that you fight the battle on in your own heart, in your own life, the, the battles that you're facing in your, own, uh, in your own battle against sin, you don't have to fight on the enemy's terms. The enemy doesn't have to, the, the enemy doesn't make the terms. You make the terms. And do you know why? Because you've been bought. You've been changed from the inside out. You're owned by somebody else. 1 John 4, verse 4. Why don't you guys put that up there? 1 John 4, 4 says, You dear children. Oh, I was reading it from the, from, the, from the thing. You dear children are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. See, here's the deal. Here's the deal. None of these Israelites believed that there was anything greater in them than what was in Goliath. So they just sat around and were tormented day after day. They fought on the enemy's terms. Now the problem is you've got to figure out what the terms are, which is why you need to study the scriptures, which is why you need to go to church, which is why you need to connect with other believers. You've got to understand the terms. Don't fight on the enemy's terms. Verse 10, Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give... Oh, then the Philistine said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. <laughs> Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Verse 12. Now David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in, Judea, in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well-advanced in years. And Jesse's three oldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul. But David went back and forth from Saul to tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. For 40 days, the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took his stand. Next thing I want you to write down. Next thing I want you to write down. The enemy will keep using what works. The enemy will continue to use what works. <laughs> if you keep allowing him to pull one over on you, to smash you, to discourage you, to cause you to be afraid, and you don't stand up somehow. Now, the, we're going to talk about how to stand up here in a few minutes. But he'll keep using what works on you. And here's the thing that's funny about the enemy in your life. The enemy of your soul is really not very smart. He just keeps using the same thing over and over again. The test of whether or not you're smart is whether or not you keep letting him. Just using the same message over and over again. You know, your dad said, you'll never amount to anything. And that tape plays over and over again in your mind. They said, I wouldn't do anything. I wouldn't amount to anything. I wouldn't be able to achieve anything. And that tape just, the enemy keeps playing that tape over and over again in your mind. You've got to erase that tape. But you know what? You know, you know the only way to erase tapes in your mind? Replace them. You've got to replace them. What are you going to replace them with? What are you going to replace those tapes with? 
Coming to this kind of conference, being here in this atmosphere, is a really good part of that process. But it's got to it's got to continue. You have to erase the tapes and play them, play the play a different tape because you've got to get rid of that stuff that the enemy wants to use on you. Verse seventeen says, "Now Jesse said to his son David, Take the ephah of roasted grain and these ten loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these ten cheeses." <laughs> He's the cheese boy. He's the little pizza delivery boy. Get it? Bread and cheese. <laughs> okay, not easy, easy. So he says, take, the, take these 10 loaves of bread to your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the Valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Now, this is interesting. I want to say this about David. He was going back and forth between, so he was tending sheep and he was back and forth. He was doing things. Now, you've got to remember that David had already been anointed as king. Saul, sorry, Samuel had already come and had asked Jesse to show him all his sons. And so now he's waiting to be king. He's waiting for it. And he's coming to the front line here to check on his three older brothers. And you can see what the problem is as we continue reading. Oh, sorry. I don't want to go, I, I, want to, I want to say one more thing about verse 19. Verse 19, I want you to see this. They are with Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting. Notice that word. Everybody say fighting. Fighting against the Philistines. Let me ask you this question. Was anybody fighting? No one was fighting. Not one person was fighting. There was no battle, only intimidation. There was no battle. There was only intimidation. And when you think about it, when you really think about what the scripture says, that's all the enemy's got on you. That's really all he's got on you. Because you've been fundamentally transformed on the inside. And you are in a process. You're not perfect. You're working it through. You're being transformed. But look, he can't. He can't nail you unless you let him. He can't do things to you unless you let him. It takes two moves for the devil to get you, all right? Here's what I mean. Two moves for the, everybody say two moves. It takes two moves for the devil to get you. The first move is his move. Something will happen. Somebody will hurt you. Somebody will wound you. Somebody will say something mean to you. You'll get in a fight. You'll, you, there'll be some kind of thing that happens that upsets you, that, that causes failure. Even your own sinfulness can be the first move. The question is, who's going to make the second move? What's the second move going to be? If you respond poorly to that first move, he's got you. If you respond with anger or malice or fear or frustration and you take it out on people, he's got you. If you sin but your first response is not repentance... He's got you. Don't let him, don't let him intimidate you. Don't let him be that, in, that intimidator 
for your life. He wants to scare you. He wants to convince you. And here's the thing that I think. I think this is where psychological, this is a psychological thing. There's psychological warfare that goes on here. The tapes that play in your head. Here's what the scripture has to say about this. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. For the, uh, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power. Everybody say divine power. Say it one more time. To demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments, everybody say arguments, and every pretension, say pretension, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive, everybody say take captive, every thought, say it with me, every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Men, this is going to be the job of your lifetime right here, taking captive every thought, and making it obedient to Christ. This is the process that you're going to live in for the next 60, 70, 80 years. And you must learn now, I want you to write this down, write this down, all of you that are young, the habits and the patterns that you are forming right now are going to last you a long time. The habits and patterns you're forming right now in your life they're going to last you a long, long time. Now, you see the danger in that, don't you? The danger is, is that you have, you're developing patterns and habits that you're going to have to break later on. And you can't think to yourself, oh, I can do that. I can break that later on. I can do, you know, I, I won't sit around and watch TV all my life. I know several 30-somethings, 30-something-year-olds that grew up playing video games, filling their lives with video games. There's nothing more pitiful than a 33-year-old who doesn't have a life and just sits around playing video games. Ooh, I touched somebody there. Sorry if you're that person. But listen, listen. The reason that's pitiful is because God's called you to more than that. The reason that's pitiful is because God has a plan and a purpose for you. He wants you to be building his kingdom. He wants you to be doing something that is influencing others around you, not just consumed in yourself. And so you've got to start changing the patterns that you've created, even up to now. If you're 14 years old, 15 years old, you've got to make sure that the patterns you're setting are good ones, that the habits you're setting. When, when we talk about prayer, a life of prayer, and being diligent in prayer, and being consistent in a prayer life, we're talking about setting a pattern that's going to last you into your 40s. Make no mistake, when you sit around and you fill your mind with garbage from television, and listen, I'm not an anti-television guy, I love ESPN, it's one of my favorite things. I love to go home and just veg, and I don't really understand how ESPN works. I mean, it's kind of crazy, because it's the same show all day long. But I still want to watch it. I've already seen this play. Ooh, but let's watch it again. Oh, cool. That is so amazing. If you, if you, will, if you fill, your, fill your lives with this other junk, with television, with movies, with media, with all this stuff, and that's what predominates, that's, it's predominantly the thing that is in your mind, it's what you're thinking about, it's what you're focused on, 
you're going to end up creating patterns and habits in your life that you're not going to enjoy when you're 29. And so, so here, we've got to take captive these thoughts. We've got to take captive these, these things that want to overtake us. The enemy wants to overtake you. 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of, what is that word right there? Say it one more time. Say it really strong, because you're really, yeah, that was kind of like self-discipline. Listen, this, this is the name of the game. See, because warriors, warriors have, to, warriors have to learn how to be disciplined. Warriors have to learn how to be disciplined, how to take, how to take what God has given them and begin to channel it and discipline it and begin to steer it and begin to take it into realms. See, if you, if you just sit around and watch TV all the time, you're not developing discipline. If you're consumed with movies and just what the next thing out is, if you're spending hours and hours just listening to your iPod mindlessly, that's not discipline. Now, if you're on a treadmill and you're, and you're listening to your iPod and you're listening to great music and you're going for it and you're working out and you're doing your thing, all the better. But this is the thing that we've got we've to kind of settle as men. We've got to begin to develop those habits and those patterns. Verse 20. It says, early in the morning, David left the flock with the shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the, as the army was going out to its battle positions, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines were drawing up their lines, facing each other. So this is such a crazy thing. They're just lining up every day and not fighting. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines, and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. I love these three words, four words, and David heard it. When the Israelites saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. I love this. The enemy always overplays his hand. He always just pushes it a little bit too far. He always keeps going a little bit too long. Verse 45 says, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin. Oops, sorry. Wrong passage. Verse 25. Sorry about that. We'll get there. I'm really excited about that part. I really want to get there. We'll get there quickly. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. No taxes. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes his disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? Notice David's response here. David's response. Who is this Philistine that should defy the armies of the living God? 
How can he do this day after day? Something is very wrong here. This is not how it's supposed to work. Something was internal in David. Something snapped in him when he heard this champion from Gath begin to challenge the Israelites. And they repeated to him what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for the man who kills him. And when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down here to watch the battle. Every time you try to fight back, every time you try to fight back, someone's going to ridicule you. Someone's going someone's to try to intimidate you. Every time you try to fight back, every time something rises up within you to serve God or to do the right thing or to discipline yourself, somebody's going to make fun of it. Somebody's going to challenge it. Somebody's going to say you don't have it. Somebody's going to say, oh, he's that Christian guy. That's, he's, he's weird. He's straight. They're going to ridicule. They're going to challenge you. It's, notice his brothers, his brothers were so mad at him because they had watched him become anointed. They didn't know what was going to happen with that, but they'd watched him, and it had kind of gotten under their skin, and they were kind of angry at David. And here's David, and he's coming, and this is kind of a low fort for him because he's like delivering cheeses. He's delivering cheeses to his older brother. And as he delivers them, then they start resenting his visit, and they start ridiculing him, and they start intimidating him. And here's one thing that happens. Those caught in the grips of intimidation begin to use it on others. His brothers weren't fighting. They were standing around, intimidated by Goliath. And so secondary intimidation was starting to happen. You think you know what's better? You think you know how to do this? The mantra of the intimidated. Here it is. Ready? The mantra of the intimidated. You don't understand. You found yourself saying it from time to time when somebody challenges you on something in your life. When somebody says, hey, you're not living right. You're not doing the right things. You're not living clean. Well, you don't understand how hard it is. I have sexual urges. I have hormones. Listen, that's the mantra of the intimidated. That's the mantra of, a peop- of, of, of men who don't understand what they've been called to. That's the mantra of the people people that don't understand that God has a purpose and a plan for them. You can't succumb to that. You can't say, oh, look, it's just the way it is. It's the way people are. Look, it's the way I'm made. Look, it's the way things happen. Just look around in society. Listen, you are transformed from the inside out. If you want to be a man after God's own heart, you're going to have to figure out how to fight this battle, and you're going to have to win. And we're going to talk about that in just a second here as we finish this story. Now, what have I done, said David, verse 29. Now, what have I done? Can't I even speak? He then turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter, and the men answered him as before. You see the scene. He's like talking to these people. His brother comes in and says, what? I know you. You're so wicked. You're just here to watch the battle. And then he says, what what is your problem? And then he goes up here. So what will be done for him? What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And Saul replied, Oops, I'm sorry. Verse 31, what, uh, he turned to someone else and brought the same, up the same matter, and the man answered him as before. Verse 31, what David said was overheard and reported to Saul, and Saul sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. What the heck is he talking about? Why would a 16-year-old kid who's a shepherd boy 
say these things? Saul replied, you're not able to go. You're not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he has been fighting, a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it and struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair and struck it and killed it. And your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. Now here's what I think that is. Everybody listen, look at me, look at me, sit up in your chair. Come on, men, come on, a little bit, come on. All right, we're zeroing in here. Look, look at this. You know what he says? Oh, I know you're tired now. It's okay, it's all right, listen to this. This, is, this, this will inspire you. This will, this will inspire your heart. Defining moments come from many smaller opportunities. Defining moments come from many smaller opportunities. See, the issue with developing patterns and habits in your life is you don't think they're any big deal. It's not that big of a deal. This television, it's not that big of a deal. This fantasizing that I, it's not that big of a deal. This thing, this, this stuff that I'm doing now, you know, I'll, 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 I'm gonna grow up and I'm gonna do, look, little, Little opportunities along the way create the opportunity for defining moments. When you get to the place where God wants to use you in a powerful way, if you have not prepared, if you have not won some personal battles, if you have not fought the battle of your own heart, you'll never be able to have that defining moment because private victories always lead to public success. No one saw David out there in the in the in the field. No one saw him kill that bear. No one saw him kill that lion. And so I ask you, what are you doing in private that's building towards your future? What are you doing where no one is looking? What are you doing where no one is looking that's building you into a fighting machine? A person who's going to a person who's going to have confidence and security and consistency that people are going to see. And you may be thinking, well, no one, no one sees it. They will. No one knows what I'm doing. They will. They will. There will be a defining moment. There will be a moment in your life where it is a moment where you must stand up and you must, and look, m- many, many men in our society have a defining moment in their 20s and they fail. Many men in our societies, they get married, they have kids, they're down the road a little bit, they're in their late 30s, and what happens is there's a defining moment, but they haven't built any habits, any, any, they haven't been faithful with smaller things in their life, and as they get to that defining moment, they crash and they burn, and they lose their family, they get a divorce, they lose their kids. Many of you have seen it because your parents have gone through it. You have to start now. So then notice what Saul says. Saul says, David convinces him he's got passion, he's got, he's got all this zeal, and he wants to go fight the, the giant. And Saul says, go and the Lord be with you, which I think translated means, I think your odds are zero, but go ahead and God help you. 
I think that's what he was saying here. So then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. So David puts on all this stuff. He's a little skinny, scrawny guy like me. And David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. He said, I can't go in these because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. Somebody will always want to dress you in their armor. But you have to develop your own. You have to develop your own armor. God will help you. Then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, and put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. You can see it. Here it comes. He's coming to the battlefield. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds, to the air, and the beasts of the field. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, who you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field, or beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Now, I want you to write this down. Put David's faith in your, in your notes, because this is the moment of truth for David. David. Something happened with the lion and the bear, and he has confidence, not because he's such a warrior, not because he's been trained like Goliath has been trained, but because something else has happened while he was out in that field, worshiping God under the stars, writing his psalms and poet poetry, writing, and you think, oh, well, he was David. He was writing this poetry. He wasn't really a man's man. Well, he's about to become a man's man right here. But it's because of what happened out in that field. It's because of what happened with the lion and the bear. And it's because of what happened in his heart. And I want you to see this. David's faith. Number one. Number one. He was a good steward of what he'd been given. He was a good steward of what he'd been given. He'd been given sheep. He'd taken care of them. There was a stewardship issue that David had in his life. His, he understood it. He, he walked back and forth between the battle and, and taking care of the sheep. He took the cheeses, as embarrassing as that was. He couldn't fight. He took the cheeses and the bread and he came and, and gave them to his brothers like his father and his mommy asked him to. Do you know the parable of the talents? Parable of the talents. Are you familiar with this? Parable of the talents. Guy with five, guy with two, guy with one. Do you know the issue with the parable of talents is not what you have, it's what you do with what you have. And if you are willing to use what God's given you, maybe you, maybe you feel like you don't have much influence in your school. Maybe you feel like you don't know exactly how God wants to use you. Maybe you're wondering about your family's broken and you're trying to figure out what kind of influence you can have. Look, if you'll just do, if you'll just be faithful, with little things in your life, if you'll develop good habits, good patterns, good personal habits, if you'll develop a love for the scripture and a love for prayer, if you'll develop a life of holiness and purity and you won't look at things, you, you will find God coming. He'll see that stewardship and he'll say the same thing he said to those guys in the parable of towns. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. Now I'm gonna let you kill the giant. He didn't say that, but I'm, you know. Now I'm gonna let you be in charge of big things. Number two, David's faith had history. He'd used it before. He'd used it before this moment. He'd actually tried it out on the lion and the bear. He had history. 
He had understanding. He knew he could do it. There was something. This is crazy. He's got, a little, he's got this little sling and some stones. He's thinking, but something told him. Listen, something told him. He knew where he was going to aim that rock. Goliath was covered in armor. He knew where he was going to aim that rock. And you know why he knew that? Because he'd had all this history of knowing how to do this. And he saw what was happening between the armies and he got an idea. God gave him that idea. But he gave him that idea because it had happened before. Which, once you have stewardship and once you have history, guess what happens? Once you develop a pattern of stewardship in your life, God looks at you and said, that guy, I can trust him because he's been faithful with the little things that I've given him. And maybe those little things are just serving the people around you. Being nice to your mom. Instead of being rebellious and rude, you're nice to her. You're kind. You're obedient. God's going to see that and he's going to reward that. But if you're not going to be faithful in little things, a little thing like knowing how to respond to your mother, you're going to have trouble. Once God sees that, then he says, I can give this guy more. And once you have a history where you start developing a pattern in your life and you start experiencing God in these incredible ways, then something happens. You develop confidence. And then, and then here's, the, here's the final big idea about this. The final big idea about this is David had God fighting with him. And do you know why? Because David was motivated by something. Verse 47, all those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. Look at this. Look at it. Read it. It is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. This motivation, David was motivated by God's glory, not by proving that he was a man. Not by proving that he had what it took. Not by kind of proving to everyone else that he could handle the situation. He was motivated by the glory of God. That the world would know that a little boy who's a shepherd boy, who tends some sheep, who doesn't have any armor on him, Here's why I'm going to do this. Here's why this is going to happen. This is going to happen because I'm just a little shepherd boy and the world is going to see that this little five foot six shepherd boy with no armor on, with a little sling in his hand, is going to sling a rock and slay this guy that's trained all his life for this battle. And it's going to show that this guy doesn't have anything on God's ability to fight and to destroy. And as God destroys, see, here's the thing. You have to figure this out. Do you want God to work with you to destroy your enemies? Or do you want to do it yourself? David decided that he wanted God and God's name to be revered, to be seen, to be known, for there to be a discussion, to be, for there to be all kinds of messages sent far and wide that God is strong and mighty and able to save. Verse 48 says, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle. Everybody say, ran quickly. He ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Friends, hesitation will kill it. If you hesitate, oh, I'm not sure I really want to. I don't know if I, you know, I, 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 so, the giant is so big, I'm not sure. Don't hesitate. 
What's happening at this conference? Do not hesitate. You sense the Holy Spirit speaking to you to come down to this altar and give your life to him in a greater way than ever before. Do not hesitate. Respond to it. Respond to every little whisper of the Holy Spirit. Respond to every little thought that comes through your mind that's godly. Respond to it immediately. And every thought that's not godly, you immediately, without hesitation, you push it back. You push it away. You don't let it attack you. You don't let it have the upper hand on you. Now look, look. David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. So he runs, and he runs quickly, and he's slinging this sling, and he runs to meet him, reaching into his bag while he's running, and he's taking out a stone, and he's putting it in a sling, and he struck the Philistine on the forehead, and the stone sank into the forehead, and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, without a sword in his hand, without the typical way that we, sh- that we think we should fight. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. And David ran and stood over him. And he took the hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with his sword. So he comes over, and this is the manly part. And he comes over and he takes out his giant, enormous sword. And he stabs him through the heart. And then he takes out the sword and he cuts off his head. Okay, look. Okay, look. Same shepherd boy. Playing his little harp in the field. Same shepherd boy, worshiping God out under the stars, writing poetry. The worshiper became a warrior. It's the only way that you succeed in fighting the battle. The worshiper becomes a warrior. If you don't worship, you don't know how to fight. If you don't know how to worship God and find the secret place, you will never learn how to overcome the enemy. If you don't develop a life of secrecy with God where no one sees, you will never learn how to fight the great battles of life. You've got to do it. Same guy, worshiper, warrior, Then the men of Israel and Judah surge forward. We don't have to read the rest because I want to get on to one other thing. (laughs) They rout the enemy. They go. People are amazed. They're overwhelmed. It's incredible. It's so funny. David goes out there, kills the giant, and then all Israel starts chasing the Philistines. Oh, now you have courage. Great. Fabulous. Have a great time. Go get them. Turn to Psalm 101. Psalm 101. This is the last thing we'll talk about here. Psalm 101. And this is where it kind of gets to the practical side. Psalm 101 is one of my favorite passages because this is David. And this is later on in his life. He says, I will sing of your love and justice. To you, O Lord, I will sing praise. I will be careful. Notice, he starts with worship. He starts with this thing. It's going to come out of my heart. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. I will be careful to lead a blameless life. When will you come to me? Come to me. Because when you come to me, I can lead this blameless life. I will walk in my house with a blameless heart. I will set before my eyes no vile thing. The deeds of faithless men I hate, and they will not cling to me. Men of perverse heart shall be far from me. I will have nothing to do with evil. 
Whoever slanders his neighbor in secret, him will I put to silence. Whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him will I not endure. My eyes will be on the faithful in the land, that they may dwell with me. I'm going to put my eyes, I'm going to connect my eyes with those who are faithful with me. He whose walk is blameless will minister to me. No one who practices deceit will dwell in my house. No one who speaks falsely will stand in my presence. Every morning, everybody say it. Every morning I will put to silence all the wicked in the land. I will cut off every evildoer from the city of the Lord. Four points, here they are. Number one, David said, I will lead a blameless life. Not a life defined by repentance. Not a life defined by trial and error. Not a life defined by, oh, I'm just not good enough. I can't do it. I just, oh, I'm sorry, God. You've got to make the commitment to lead a life defined by, by being blameless. Now, how do you become blameless? You surrender your life to Christ. You grab a hold of the cross of Jesus Christ, which has purchased your pardon and every sin that you'll ever that you'll ever make, every sin that you ever have in your life, he has taken care of that. But you've got to commit to leading a blameless life. This is what David did. He said, I will lead a blameless life. Number two, he said, I will not put anything vile before my eyes. Nothing vile before my eyes. Not just I won't look at something. I won't, not, he didn't just say, I, just, I, I won't look at anything vile. He said, I won't get around anything that gets put in front of me to see anything vile. I'm not going to let my eyes do that. This is something you're going to have to be committed to. One of the best one of the best teachings I've ever heard is something called the bounce. And I think this came from the Every Man's Battle books. Have you ever heard of this? This is your eyes and you wander around and your eyes gravitate to things that you shouldn't look at. And you know what those are. And as they do, as, as, you, as, you, as you find times where your eyes go to this, these things that you shouldn't look at, you train yourself, self-discipline, you train yourself to bounce away. So a really, really pretty honey walks by you, and you want to take a second look, and she kind of comes into your vision, and you see it, and what you have to do is train yourself to bounce away. You see it, and you want to look, but that's not godliness. Train yourself to bounce away. Train yourself not to even put anything in front of your eyes that's vile. And, it's, and it can be done. I've done it. I did it in college. I trained myself. I trained myself not to let my eyes feed my flesh, but to only have eyes for the living God. That my eyes were committed to him. I won't put anything vile before my eyes. Number three, I will not be friends with godless men. Write it down. I will not be friends with godless men. I will not surround myself with a bunch of people who take God's name in vain. I will not surround myself with a bunch of people who don't know what it's like to serve the living God. Now, here's the thing. You're around them at school all the time. But the issue is, who is influencing whom? Write that down. Who is influencing whom? Are you the influencer or are they the influencer? That's what determines it. But I'm not going to... 1 Corinthians 15 says, bad company corrupts good character. So watch yourself. Bad company corrupts good character. So you've got to find a way to get strong enough 
with the friends around you, choose the friends that will honor God. And as you choose those friends, then you get the strength to begin to go out and fight the battles to make sure that you're the influencer and not them. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? Okay, number four. Last one. I will have nothing to do with evil. Nothing to do with evil. Don't touch it. Don't taste it. Don't dabble in it. Don't get close to it. Stay completely away from it. Don't have anything to do with it. And there's a whole, there's a whole mindset sometimes in the Christian community. We see how close we can get to evil. We see how close we can get to, you know, just, just well, you know, I'm not really being that bad. And I'm just getting, you know, I'm just going to get, I'm, just, I'm not going to go over the line. I'm just going to get next to the line. That will lead you down a path of destruction because it's only a matter of time and you'll go across the line. So if you want to be the kind of confident warrior that David was, you've got to embrace these ideas. Now, one last thing I'll say to you and then we'll, then we'll go. Psalm 51, verse 6. Psalm 51, 6. Put that up there, guys. I think it's 6. Put whatever that Psalm 51. Yeah. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Leave that up there for a minute so these guys can see that. Now here's the problem. David committed to living a blameless life. Now look at me. Look at me. David committed to living a blameless life. He committed to not letting any evil thing be in front of his eyes. He committed to not letting his friends be godless. And he committed to not letting any evil thing come upon him. And it still happened. That's why the war, I'm telling you, is going to last for several years in your life. You're embarking on a war here that you're going to have to find the way to overcome it, to fight like David. Now, David learned some things in his youth and then got lazy. He got lazy. And he walked around on the top of his little palace there and he saw a woman that he wanted named Bathsheba and he went and got her. He forgot this psalm. I'll put no evil thing before my eyes. I won't let my eyes look at those things. Diligence is the only way this works. You've got to be diligent at it. You've got to be diligent at the secret place. You've got to be diligent in prayer. You've got to be diligent in the way you connect to the church body, the believers, your youth group. You've got to be diligent in all these things. You've got to be convinced. You've got to go for it. You've got to be strong. You've got to have that warrior spirit inside of you. And you've got to be ruthless with yourself. And the way you're ruthless with yourself, here's the best way to do it, is you become overwhelmed by him. You become consumed with him and it gives you the strength to do what you must do to cooperate with his work in your life. Stand up. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for these men right here. Now, we've talked about these things, and we're thinking about them. We're, we're applying them to our own lives, and I pray that as they walk out of this place, that there wouldn't be just a, just sort of a tacit kind of, yeah, I get that. Okay, um, I'll try to work on it. But Lord, remind them of these things over and over and over again. And Lord, help every one of us to make the transformation, to make the transformation from the inside out happen in such a way that we can begin to fight. 
for the purposes of the kingdom of God. Not just fight our own battles. Not just fight our own sinful nature. We want to we wanna go further than that. We want to go beyond that. We don't want to just be stuck fighting our own battles all our lives. We want to settle our own battles. And then we want to be sent to go fight on behalf of the kingdom of God. To see your kingdom expand. We want to reach into others' lives. And we want them to see the purity and the cleanness and the holiness and the honesty and the discipline and the stability of our lives. And we want other people to see that. And we want to, to spread your kingdom through our lives. Use us, Lord. Use us as men. Help us not to be weak. Help us not to be weary. Help us not to give in. Help us to strongly stand with one another and to be obedient, to be godly, to surrender to holiness, to fight like David did. But then not to get lazy, not to shrink back, but to keep going. Lord, we thank you for this. Thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.